Good evening, world. I would like to welcome all you cinephiles and cocktail enthusiasts to a special episode of A24 on the Rocks. Tonight, we welcome friend of the show and master mixologist Brandon Johnston of the Martini Shot to sit down with us and talk all things craft cocktails and A24. At the Martini Shot, they combine a love for film and mixology by both talking about movies and creating drinks inspired by them. We are thrilled at the opportunity to speak with Brandon about his love of movies, cocktails, and of course, our mutual love interest, A24. You can check out more of his content at themartinishot.blog. And as we do on every episode of the show, we all have a drink in our hands. But tonight, as we mentioned, it is special. So we have all selected a specialty cocktail from Brandon's recent movie reviews to sample. So, before I begin, I'm going to ask all of you, what are you drinking? And what movies are they inspired by? Eric, why don't you start us out? Uh, so I am sick, and so I'm drinking what's called the Phantom Thread. Um, I, it's just Pedialyte in a uh, snifter glass because my wife poisoned me, and I'm trying to get better. Up next, we got Kelly, my wife. Oh, it's me, the accused. But <laughs> I'm drinking the Forbidden Fruit, um, inspired by men. More recent A24 film that the first watch in theaters had one reaction, but as I've sat on it, I've appreciated it more. What's in that cocktail, Kelly? Oh, uh, we've got Applejack brandy and apple cider, Angosura bitters, ginger beer, and a cream liquor that I can't remember the name of at the moment. Um, but <laughs> it's absolutely delicious. It is how you describe on your YouTube video where you say it's both refreshing and warming at the same time. It's very good. <laughs> Excellent. Cole, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight I am drinking uh, Turpentine and Honey, inspired by The Lighthouse, one of my favorite A24 films. And uh, truly a delicious cocktail. It, you know, I'm, in, I'm traveling right now for work, so it's in a Holiday Inn Express coffee cup. But man, oh man, is this thing good. I, uh, I actually use some Highland Park uh, Viking Honor scotch in it, and it gives it that nice smoky bite as if you might be actually drinking turpentine. It could be poisoning yourself, but that milk and honey really, really smooths it out, and I, I love this cocktail. I'm definitely going to keep drinking this bad boy. Fantastic. All right, Blaze, what do you got over there, buddy? Yo, what up? It's Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan the first, and tonight I am not drinking something that is uh, A24 because something caught my eye. The greatest movie of all time, you might say. I decided it was Morbin time. I'm having artificial blood crafted by my favorite uh, bartender. Um, <laughs> we used effing cherry, uh, shot of carousel, lime, lemon juice, and uh, we didn't have the bubbly, whatever you call it, but we used like yeah. tonic water or something like that. So, but um, yeah, it looks amazing. It looks like the artificial blood, and uh, I feel like a more billion bucks at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, I am drinking a uh, good old-fashioned whiskey sour tonight, uh, Rick Dalton's All-American Whiskey Sour, in fact, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Very straightforward. We've got some uh, Eagle Rare uh, bourbon whiskey in there, a couple shots of simple syrup, egg whites, and uh, cherry for garnish. Think it's delicious. Think you're so fancy with your Eagle Rare over there, don't you? <laughs> it's just Honestly. real good. Honestly, if I could find it where I'm living, it's kind of scarce right now. That would be in all of my whiskey-based cocktails. I love me some Eagle Rare. So smooth.
And then, uh, Brandon, you got a cocktail you're sipping on tonight? Uh, I have yet to make it. I figured I would go ahead and start by showing you guys how to make one. I figured that'd be in the spirit. Uh, and thankfully, it's Ooh. a cocktail uh, that neither of you guys are drinking. Yeah. Uh, so the one I'm going to be showing you guys uh, how to make is a cocktail called Sex on the Farm. Uh, this is a cocktail I made for X, uh, mainly nice. just because the name, like, I couldn't avoid it. Like, the name is just perfect. <laughs> um, but basically what I, what I tried to do is take the original recipe of the Sex on the Beach and give it a bit more of a southern spin. So I've swapped out the vodka for whiskey and I have swapped out the cranberry juice for some lemonade. It makes it really light and refreshing. Uh, this is a very good cocktail. This is one that I've gotten a ton of positive feedback just from anyone I've ever made it for. So I figured I'd go ahead and start with that one. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do this as cleanly as possible. Uh, <laughs> I, am, I, I, I didn't get to shoot at my bar set uh, like I was intending to. Uh, so I'm just at my okay. kitchen counter. So okay. I'm going to make it work. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, we're going to go ahead and start with two ounces of whiskey. I am going to be using this Buffalo Trace. That poor timing I put it in the decanter makes it a little bit harder to pour. Just remember to drink it within a week because sometimes the lead lining of these decanters can uh, ruin the whiskey. That's what I found. Oh, oh That's a good tip. Yeah. Uh, next, we're going to do some peach brandy. Uh, typically, Sex on the Beaches call for a peach schnapps. However, I like the peach brandy a little bit better just because it gives it a little bit of a darker, heavier texture. Makes it a little bit more creamy, almost dessert-like in that matter. Uh, you don't need much, just about half an ounce. There go. All right. And then next, we are going to be doing half an ounce of a bit of a missing ingredient when it comes to the Sex on the Beaches creme de cassis, which is in that Forbidden Fruit cocktail, uh, is in the original recipe for the Sex on the Beach. But if you order it at most restaurants, you're probably not going to find it in there. Most people will usually just use grenadine. And I don't really think that's a good enough substitute. Uh, creme de cassis, if you don't know, is a aperitif. It's great for drinking after dinner. It's almost kind of desserty, almost kind of a blackberry, black cherry type flavor. Uh, and it works really well in this cocktail. So I'm going to go ahead and do half an ounce. All right. And then to make up the body, we are going to go ahead and throw in our juices. First, we are going to start with ounce and a half or one shot of orange juice oh so we can't see you're pouring this all into a shaker right now right it's actually all in my lap and i'm going to try to <laughs> it I'm, I'm gonna go from there. we're gonna, we're gonna uh, squeegee it out <laughs> yeah I, I do have a shaker down here thanks yeah, I gotcha. um so yeah we got the orange juice and now we are also going to do the same measurement size for the lemonade peel out peel and i already got some ice in here Go ahead and give that a quick shake. Here comes the ASMR part, everyone. Yeah. Buckle <laughs> up. So glad my headphones are in. Oh <laughs> man, he's got the self self isolating. I can't even hear him shaking. <laughs> yep. Truthfully, most of the ice is melted because I did. That was like the first thing I prepared for. Is like I don't want to get up and go put ice in my shaker <laughs> while we're recording. And gotcha. so this might be a tad more watery than. I'm wanting, but oh yeah, there's like Barrick put the shake in post. <laughs> yeah, 
right, but yeah, that's basically it. That's the uh, sex on the beach. Like I said, very refreshing, but that creamy element also makes it almost dessert-like as well. So this is one of my favorite cocktails. It's been one that a lot of people I've had, I've made it for, have said that it's, it's been one of their favorites I've made for them. Uh, so yeah, cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 Right. So now that we all have our beverages in hand, um, Brandon, I'm going to have you still kind of take over the floor a little bit, and why don't you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, kind of just how you got invested in movies and mixology, and kind of just, you know, how you uh, got to where you are right now. Yeah, of course. Uh, so the movie side of that is probably the easiest one. I've always been uh, obsessed with movies ever since I was young. I was making my own uh, movies with a camcorder that could only record five minutes of footage at a time. Um, I got into stop-motion animation with Microsoft Paint and Microsoft Movie Studio. I made a, I think, a 10-minute long little movie for school that crashed my computer at least three times. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's something I've always been interested in, and it wasn't until around high school, college, it really started to blossom into the love that it is now, um, to the point where I really wanted to work in film, and that's Kind of what I've been doing for the past couple of years. It kind of went on hiatus uh, because of COVID and all that. And I moved to a different state. I currently live in Atlanta where there's a lot of production going on right now. Uh, but I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina for two years. Uh, wasn't working in film up there. I went there to be with my uh, then fiance, now wife. Um, hmm. And once COVID happened, uh, I kind of needed something to do. Because uh, I had lost my job. I was originally uh, working at um, the Alamo Draft House, if you guys are familiar. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Cole, yeah. So Cole over here lives in Savannah, and he yeah. loves the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, oh, I, I, I love it. I lived in Kansas City, and I was like two blocks away from the one down there, and I went to it all the time. But it's it shut down, and my heart's broken. So That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I miss it every day. I'm surprised Atlanta hasn't gotten one yet. It seems like a no-brainer, but it's whatever. But... Before I uh, got laid off because of COVID there, I was about to start training to become a bartender there. And I was really interested in mixology at that point, uh, but I hadn't really done anything with that. I wasn't really a huge drinker until kind of later in my life, but I was really interested in the creative side of making drinks. Um, so once COVID happened and I really had nothing to do, I was just kind of in my apartment doing nothing. Uh, I decided to try to mold two of my uh passions one that i've had all my life and a fairly new one and that's pretty much where the martini shot came from and it was basically a opportunity to not only express my love for movies but also learn a new skill while i'm at it and i've been doing it for about three years uh it's been slowly growing uh it used to just kind of be a little hobby thing i was doing it wasn't until more recently i've been trying to grow it into a full-on uh brand and stuff like that i've been trying to up my production quality uh i work for a production company right now and they've been super kind to actually build me the bar set that appears in the youtube videos oh, that i do cool. they've allowed me to have access to all of their industry grade cameras lighting sound stuff like that Damn. so it's just finding the time to do it but i'm hoping it'll eventually turn into something that i can just do for the rest of my life honestly time it's crazy. Yeah. So I so think I guess, a couple of us have some questions for you. Um, yeah. Eric, go ahead. Why don't you start yeah. it off? Uh, do you have any inter interesting stories of how you thought of and made one of these cocktails? Like, uh, I'm interested in how you kind of think of a lot of these cocktails. Yeah. So a lot of different 
elements kind of go into when I'm thinking of a cocktail, and it can be some really obvious ones like, oh, they make a drink in that movie, so I'll make that same drink. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then it can go a little bit more deeper than that. It can be what's kind of the aesthetic of it, what fits the time period, what would maybe those characters drink. Is there some kind of maybe minor thing that I can latch onto that would have an interesting drink concept? Uh, One of them that I can think of is one of the earliest cocktails I did was for Uncut Gems, and that cocktail is called Howard's Fish Tank. And that's purely based off the scene where uh, Damani pours that uh, red energy drink into his fish tank of all its fish. I was like, oh, yeah, that that, that would be a cool uh, idea for a drink. So I kind of went off of that. Uh, So, yeah, it can be very specific things. Uh, It can be more broad things, uh, like the most recent uh, cocktail I did for um, uh, the Bob's Burgers movie. Uh, I just wanted to kind of... encapsulate kind of that feel of summertime and just kind of like light free bubbly energy because that's kind of what the movie felt like cool (laughs) yeah your creativity in these drinks that you make is so apparent and your passion behind it is so apparent as well um thank you it makes sense now that you explain your amazing set and everything that's really great that um your company is so supportive of all that i was blown away by your production value um and I was wondering, with your background that you kind of just discussed of you as a kid, do you edit your own videos and everything? And is your movie poster, is that green screened out behind you? Can you tell me about yeah. that? Yeah, so that is a green screen. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way that I could keep the set changing from episode to episode without having to put in too much work. And we just had this uh, small little chalkboard uh, that no one was using. So I thought it would be a cool idea. We had this big... Uh, long not like a green screen per se but it was made out of paper it was just this long roll of just green paper and i asked the uh, set designer for the studio i worked at and i was just like hey do you mind if i cut up some of that and just place it on that chalkboard and I, it turns out perfect like a lot of people don't even know that it's green screen uh, but um yeah so with like the set and the whole production I, I would say about 90% of it is me. I uh, write all of my scripts. I obviously do all the cocktails and all that. I edit all my videos. Um, I do have some people that do help me behind the scenes. Um, I have one guy I work with, uh, Michael. He's a cameraman for uh, the studio that I work for. And he was super excited to uh, help me out with this. He's helped me out with all of my shoots. He somehow manages to run a double camera setup, maintain audio, and run a teleprompter all at once. So he, he's a real superstar and really kind of makes the show uh, run as smoothly as it does. Um, but yeah, aside from that, yeah, it's pretty much just kind of a almost a one-man show outside of the little bit of help I do get. Um, eventually, I'm hoping to get more of a bigger team behind it just so I can be producing more content more consistently. Because right now I'm only on a week upload if I'm lucky. I didn't even put out anything last week. So it really just kind of depends. But I am hoping to uh, expand it at some point. Cole, you got a question? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was curious as to uh, diving into the movie side of things. What are like your, you know, it's always hard to pick your favorite movie. But what are some of your like top tier films? Yeah, I guess I'll go what's in the top four on my letterbox currently. Um, so I, I did. I do agree with you that 
uh, saying what your favorite movie of all time with is an almost impossible question to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I saw Parasite. And Ooh, Parasite, I, I think... Parasite blew me away when I saw it. I saw that movie, I think, eight times in theaters. One of those showings was in black and white, which was pretty cool. Um, I, I was aware of Bong Joon-ho for a while. Like, I had seen uh, the host, Snowpiercer, Okja, at that time. Nice. Um, but this one, just from a craft standpoint, just blew me away. There's things that it took three or four watches to eventually pick up on. And just everything works so well everything is a cog in the machine and it there's no sputtering there's no hiccups nothing feels forced everything is so natural that was probably the most surprised i've ever been by a movie once it gets to the twist of that movie because it just feels it's so out of left field but at the same time when you go back and think about it it's all so natural and the groundwork was there and it was so subtle i i just love everything about that movie so that that's probably my favorite movie of all time at least at the moment. Um, as far as the other ones that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, my all-time favorite comedy uh, has to be the original Airplane. I think <laughs> okay. movies yeah. just don't get made like Let's that anymore. <laughs> yeah, favorite comedy of all time. One of those things that, like, I don't know if a movie like that can ever be made again just because of the mindset behind it, uh, especially with parody. Parody is kind of a dead genre for the most part. I think the last good parody movie I saw was uh walk hard the dewey cox story yeah like after that there just hasn't been anything that could even match it but um yeah airplane uh that's definitely my favorite comedy of all time uh my favorite horror movie of all time uh i think is still john carpenter's the thing uh, going back to that movie it it holds up (laughs) yeah it it holds up so well uh it's paced so well acting so well the effects the practical effects oh my god the practical effects, like, they'll stand the test of time longer than any CGI that we'll ever see, basically. It, it's such a great movie, and I love showing it to people who haven't seen it for the first time. It really surprises them, not only just how visceral it can get, but how genuinely scary it is. It, like, it's such a well-made horror movie. Um, and then I guess to finish it off, what I think my favorite A24 movie uh, it, it might be The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse nice. is is an enigma of a movie. Robert Eggers, I I don't want to say he peaked uh, because it's going to be so hard to top something like that, but just everything from the craft, the presentation, the directing, the acting, it's it's a perfect movie. Oh, yeah. Blaze, did you have a question too? Yeah, so mine's kind of a hybrid question between Eric and Cole's. Um, So the reason why you got on our radar in the first place is because you make so many drinks uh, inspired by A24 movies. So what my question was is, uh, do you really like like A24 as a film? You try to make the drinks like fit with the movies or is it the opposite where it's just the A24 is such a huge well of uh, drink ideas? Makes sense. I will say I, the A24 movies are probably the hardest ones uh, to make cocktails for just because they're not always as straightforward as some of the more mainstream movies. Right. Um, sometimes it does kind of lend itself to it, like the Turpentine and Honey it was a pretty easy one to adapt mm-hmm. from there. Uh, the one I did for Midsummer, the May Queen Lemonade, that was based off kind of like the drinks the cult were, was drinking. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, it, it can be tricky, especially for the A24 movies, to come up with one. And usually I'll 
plan out my schedule of movies I want to cover, and I'll use, and sometimes I'll have a cocktail just right off the bat that I know I want to do. But the A twenty four ones, pretty consistently, I always have to like see it first, and I always have okay. to kind of sit on it for a few days before I actually think I can come up with a drink that I think will not only be good, but it will also be a good representation of that movie. Of course, of course. So I guess then that kind of parodies my question, or lends to my question. How do you? pick and choose what you are going to review i mean do you go every single movie that gets released down the line i'm looking at your website you know you've got all your 2022 20, 21 and then friday the 13th gets thrown in there and then you do a full mm-hmm. review on that and like i love that because it seems like it's just kind of whatever comes to mind is your inspiration so i guess i gotta hear it from you how do you decide yeah so when i was first starting because it was in the full swing of covid as you guys will probably remember not a lot of movies were being released at that time so I pretty much just kind of started with all of those movies from the previous year, 2019, which, in my opinion, one of the best years of film in a good while. Is that Parasite? Uh, so, uh, the same year as Parasite? Was that 2019? That, yeah. that, that's Parasite. Yeah, that's Lighthouse. Midsummer, uh, Marriage Story, Uncut yeah. Gems. It, yeah. it was just a banger of a year. Um but yeah, so nowadays, um, with the kind of schedule that I have right now, just between uh, work and home life and stuff like that, um, I try to stick to the most recent uh, releases, mainly just because they're going to be the most topical. Uh, I still love going to the movie theaters, so I always like going out and seeing what's new. Uh, so it, that's usually what I'll cover. Around the holidays, I do try to lean into some more festive movies. So around Halloween, I'll do some more scary movies. Around Christmas, I'll try to do some holiday movies and then sprinkle some odd ones in every now and then because there are some stretches that will come where a movie or a couple movies will be out in theaters and I will truthfully have no idea what to do drink-wise for them. So it, it doesn't hurt to kind of pull from some of those older movies, especially because I do have a lot in my back catalog that I've been wanting to do cocktails for, but it's just kind of waiting for the opportune time to kind of pull those out. Uh, I guess I have a question. What are your thoughts on Spring Breakers? Because it's a very divisive uh, topic on here. <laughs> All right. Spring Breakers. Um, I So, truthfully, I saw it before I think I could fully appreciate it. And when I say appreciate, I don't want to give it too much credit. Because I, I, I do think uh, it's a movie that, as kind of a, a dumb college kid, you might just kind of write off. And when you're an adult and you go back into it, you've seen a couple movies, you kind of get more used to not only just filmmaking in general, but the A24 style. You kind of pick up on what they look for when they're trying to produce or distribute a movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as far as Spring Breakers go, I think it gets a lot of unnecessary hate. I won't necessarily say that makes it a good movie, but I will say that it uh, definitely gets a lot of flack from people who, and not to sound like some pseudo-intellectual, I just don't think they get it. Yeah. Hear that, Kelly? Uh-huh. That's fair. I'll take that. I will take that to my grave. Blake is the one guy who really likes Spring Breakers on here. I'm the only one that likes okay. it. They all just dog shit on it whenever they get the opportunity to hurt my feelings. So and I do one of his favorite lines uh, is that we just don't get it. So. <laughs> I will say I'm, I'm due for a rewatch on it for sure. So my opinion will probably change, but at least from the last time I saw it, it it's definitely not as bad as people make it out to be. Do you have a review on your website for spring breakers? 
I do not. That was before uh, I was starting to do it. So maybe I'll come back to it. We're, we're, I think we're kind of getting the spiritual successor in uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies pretty soon. So. Ooh, yeah. I'm excited for that one. So I do, <laughs> I do have a cocktail planned out for that. So that'll be fun. Cool, cool. All um, right. I guess, do you, you guys all want to give him one film that you, you might want to see him review slash make a cocktail for? Now, you don't have to, you know, make them, but, like, maybe we can just name a couple of our favorite films here and he can, he can get some ideas. Can could you do a ver, a variation on a white Russian that isn't just straight up vodka and Kahlua and do a Lebowski review? I mean, everyone loves the movie. I don't know what you get out of it, but like that's the first oh, thing that comes sure. to my mind is big Lebowski and you know white Russians. For sure, yeah. A lot of people don't like white Russians, and truthfully, it's a drink that I didn't think I was going to like, just because vodka is kind of on the lower tier of uh, liquors that I like. And just the fact that it's kind of mixed with, like, cream and stuff, it, yeah. it doesn't seem like it'd be something good. It, it's okay, uh, but there are variations out there that people have done. Um, there's one of my biggest inspirations on YouTube is a guy named Greg. He has a channel called How to Drink, and I think he did a whole episode of reinventing the White Russian, uh, specifically with keeping uh, the Big Lebowski in mind, so... I definitely think it's possible. I've been meaning to toy around with some more white Russian modifications, so I might come back to that. Fantastic. Now, as a lover of the thing, I, I don't, I didn't see it on your list, but are, have you thought about reviewing it and possibly doing a cocktail? I would definitely love to review it just because I, I would just want to gush about it so much. Uh, that one would be a tricky one. I've been trying to think if... Yeah, I've, I've, I have thought about it, uh, believe it or not. I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want it to be kind of like either encapsulating the winter, real snowy atmosphere of the film, or maybe go for something a little bit more complex, maybe a drink that looks like one thing but tastes like something completely different, mm -hmm. uh, or something that has like kind of a very complex evolution to its flavor profile, so... That's something I've been thinking about. It's definitely one of those movies that I love so much that I would have to put in a ton of thought into the cocktail before I would feel comfortable ever making a whole, a whole video about it. Okay, I, I have an idea for one. So, Seven. Yeah. That's one of my favorite films. What if you got, like, a little head that you could put in the middle of the cocktail? And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, you just had a, you had a cocktail surrounding it, and... I don't know, maybe you drank it out of a box kind of drink. <laughs> you know, I guarantee What's you there is a box-shaped uh, glass out there. So that, that would honestly be a good one. You yeah. could have a lot of fun with that. I think, like, you could even, like, the garnish itself could be, like, the head. And it could yeah. be, like, maybe, like, a cherry with something on it or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that would be a cool one. I'd be yeah. down to try that. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Brandon, how many total movie reviews and cocktails do you have currently published online? Ooh, man. Um, so I think I have about 60 or 70 cocktails uh, currently online. Um, a little bit more reviews. Um, so I, I, the reviews in my videos are kind of a new thing. I used to just do videos that were really quick, and it would just kind of show you how to make the cocktail. Uh, but since I upped the production, I, this is basically how I always wanted to produce it, was always to be a movie review show and a cocktail show. Uh, so there are some reviews that you can find on the blog that don't have cocktails attached to them, but I just really felt like talking about them, and it could have been new releases that I didn't think anyone would see, like Gaia or The Killing of Two Lovers, or it was just like an old movie that I just came across for the first time, like Top Secret, that I just really wanted to talk about. Awesome. Well, we have any more questions? 
All right. Yeah, man. It's been it's been a pleasure, Brandon. Yeah. So, thank you so much for your yeah, time. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you guys. This we definitely would like to have fun. you on again. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brandon, for your time, the great conversation, and the incredible cocktail tips. I'm sure we're all uh, gonna take these back with us and enjoy them every time we uh, watch the next movie. But now we're moving on to our look back at the first 15 movies that our band of merry misfit movie reviewers have had the pleasure of reviewing over the past several months. These were the first 15 movies from A24 and covered all of the releases from 2013 and 2014. So everybody, we made it. It was a slog. Some of them were pretty terrible. Some of them were okay. And I'm sure we're going to all rehash of our opinions for all of our listeners. But, you know, you know, it starts off right off the bat with, what was our favorite? You know, what was that movie out of all of those 15 that we just went, you know, that that takes the cake. We're going to start off with that. And Cole, I think your your opinion is going to be the first one we hear tonight. So give us a whirl. What was your favorite movie reviewed during the first uh, couple episodes of this podcast? First and most important by far. Um, obviously, I mean, I don't know who else could pick anything different besides the rover. I mean, Robert Pattinson revitalized his... Wait, what? T- Tosk? Come on. Oh, hold on, hold on. We're already <laughs> arguing here. Let Cole have his time. So early. Let Cole have Excuse his time. Me. Cole, please, continue. I'm talking about a man revitalizing his career from Twilight and really showing the world his acting chops while doing an accurate portrayal of how Mad Max would have actually been in Australia. I'm talking about The Rover, the greatest film uh, from 2014-13 of A24. I absolutely love that film. Yeah, the highest review across the board, so I thought it sounds like it's a winner and that we could just end the podcast here. I really appreciate everyone's time. <laughs> most violent year is tied with The Rover for well, average rating. Well, most violent year only right. really? four votes. It had four votes yep. versus five Both votes. So if you think minus. about it, right. you know, the, the pool it's of people... Actually... Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. it's different. Yeah. So until I watch and review it, we can't we can't have that conversation. Yeah, we'll we'll get to Kevin when it comes to that. That's right. Yeah. All right, Kevin, Eric. You're since you had it. the, uh, I'm gonna hate it, uh, Eric. Since you had the most vehement reaction to Mr. Cole, you're gonna go next. What was your favorite? I just wanted him to rate Tusk the best because I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> film. Just kidding, I gave it enough. But uh, yeah, I I think my favorite film of the you know first two years of a 24 was a most violent year and i think that enemy and under the skin are kind of like what you picture as an a 24 film they're very deep there's a lot of analysis that goes into it it's kind of a mind fuck but a most violent year for me was just a great like film that i could see like it could have won an academy award you know and it was actually nominated for academy awards and that one just like it, it was my favorite film they put out of the first two years I think that there will be other A24 films going forward that'll like more, but that one really struck me as just, it was so well done. I think cinematography, writing, acting, it it was great on every level for me. Fantastic. Well, I think uh, the natural progression in this conversation is going to go to Miss Kelly over here. Um, <laughs> Always what is. was your uh, favorite what, was, what would uh, tickled your fancy? How was that the natural I, progression? I was like, I'm always after Eric. That's the duty oh. of a wife. <laughs> no, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> Behind every good man, there's a woman to also make a review. <laughs> yes. Um, so please, Kelly. My fave is actually one that I wasn't on the episode, or wasn't on that episode, but Enemy would have been my fave of the first couple uh, years. I know the, the rover's very good, and what's weird, too, is that 
my unofficial review for Enemy is like a B plus. I don't think it's a better film than Rover, but I like watching it more. And it's one that I like to revisit. Like that's one that I had seen before. Loved it just as much on the second one, and I think I would keep watching it over and over, which to me makes it like a really good film because it's something that I'll always come back to and find a new form of entertainment out of it. Yeah, and our listeners want to hear that out of us, right? The ones that we want to come back to, the ones that we really took something away from, not just you know the visual value, but the whole piece, the whole package. And I think that's a really great comment. All right, Blaze, what do you got, buddy? Spring? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Spring Gotcha. Um, No, I actually have to completely uh, mirror what Eric said. I think as far as the best movie, I think Most Violent Year was the best movie that we saw out of the first uh, 15 or so that we did. But if we're talking about A24 type films specifically, I think Enemy stands far and ahead above everyone as far as, you know, where good discussions can come from and, you know, what symbolism means and what this certain camera angle means and stuff like that. We can actually dissect that film where uh, most of the year, like I said, the metaphors were a little heavy handed, but it's still a phenomenal movie. But yeah, it's got to be a tie just because I think the better movies most violent year, but uh, the trend that I want A24 to go to in the future as we progress in this podcast, I want it to be more like a more open-ended discussion. Well, I'm going to jump in then. Uh, I'm going to join Camp Cole on this one. I think that The Rover was my favorite uh, movie that we watched from a visual standpoint, from the acting standpoint, uh, from a writing standpoint. I think in general, I really appreciated how unique and different it was. Um, And I can't wait to go back and watch it again because it just really was that gritty, dark, awesome feeling. And Robert Pattinson, again, you know, the Twilight Redemption line. Yeah, it might have been a throwaway line, but that really actually, for me, is a big deal because, like, he was so pigeonholed into being this teen heartthrob that was only going to be this for the rest of his life, and now he's done some great roles since then. So, for me, The Rover, my highest rated one and the favorite one that we reviewed in. All right. Two votes for The Rover, two votes for A Most Violent uh, Year, and one uh, for Enemy. Good, uh, always gotta be different. good at grouping there. It, yeah, but if you think about it... Oh, wait, Kevin, you haven't seen A Most Violent Year yet, right? Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Exactly. Also, I have not. Hey, so for this one. could Kelly, change. We need a Kelly, this could Kelly change. said that she would give, you know, yeah. the, the, rating, the ranking for uh, Rover, she gave it high, she gave it yeah. an A, so... I mean, come on. It's the highest, it's the best. Alright, moving on. For every great film, there is an equally but doubly horrible film that we have reviewed, and there has been a lot of them. So it's going to be hard for us to pick our least favorite, I think, especially for Eric, Mr. F-Bomb over there, who just <laughs> dropped him like his, his job. Mr. Fuck but This Film. I, yeah, pretty much. Because of that fact, I'm going to start with Blaze, because I felt bad. So Blaze, <laughs> you're going to start this time. What is your least favorite film that we reviewed, and Why? Oh boy, there were a lot of stinkers. You know, there's like at least like five or six that come off the top of my head. But I have to say, going back, looking at all the uh, movies that we did, Laggies, there was just nothing to it. It was literally a super long movie, super unfunny, super awkward, super creepy. And that is a movie that I hope gets stoned to the pits of hell and never gets shown again. That's about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> all right. Kelly, you're up next. What movie just was your, like, you know, I'm done. The one I'm I gave with you. the F to. Be gone. Uh, Spring Breakers. <gasps> oh. Spring Breakers. 
All right, I want you to <laughs> describe in detail why this movie I, is a dumpster fire. You think that's worse than Laggy's Tusk and yeah. Revenge of the Green yeah, Dragons? I, really? Let, wow. let her go. I, like, I literally don't, I don't have go, the Kelly. fire in my heart because I'm so far removed from my watch, and every single day of my life gets me further away from that experience, <laughs> so everything in my life is going uphill from there. That was maybe the lowest point, wow. and just... that's how everyone involved with that film should feel, and that's how... Uh, I won't go any further than that, but you could probably assume where I was going with that. But it just doesn't need yeah. to exist. Poor, stupid idea, stupid movie, and I don't know, do drugs instead. I just, I don't understand how you could think that a movie where James Franco improvs giving a pistol a blowjob is the worst movie possible. It's because it's not even, like... <laughs> The idea of it could be really fun, but the way it's executed, the way it's not even... It's just awful. I don't even want to... I know it's a podcast. I'm supposed to be able to describe it with my words, but I just want to like draw pictures of... I don't even know. Um, everything is what I hate about it, but like I said, it's not fresh for me. I think if you listen, re-listen to that episode, I think I have a more long and a more appropriate rant because it was fresh. Uh, but I'll never ever watch it again, and that—that's that. that's that. Mm. I think so. We- during it, no. All right, hold on, yeah. Eric. Hold on. I will let you have this moment. Yeah. But I do feel like all of us need to talk about Spring Breakers momentarily. A because it's a polarizing film in this group, and it will always be for this entire review. So we need to all have an opinion on it. And B because I really want to hear Blaze defend it. So. I hated the movie mostly because it was a trash fest of bad acting terrible cinematography and over the top ridiculousness and that's all i'll say on that terrible cinematography i just wanted to add on to what kelly was saying she had the most visceral we watch all these films together she definitely had the most visceral reaction after watching that film from any of the films we watched that was the one she i could tell she was like seething angry uh after she watched it and there was no, right. there wasn't many other films where she was that angry a, after she saw it. I'm a very it. sensitive type person, so when I see things that make me that angry, it's very obvious to those around me. I can't I wear my heart on my sleeve. You're not wearing sleeves. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Cole, jump on this bandwagon before Blaze is digging um, himself out. I mean, out. I don't think uh, Street Breakers was <laughs> as. <laughs> As bad as Kelly and Eric said. Granted, I did give it the same uh, grade as Eric, which may not, I might not have the same feelings. But I mean, I didn't think it was a great film. I don't think people should watch it. I think, given the context of like James Franco, and then also, I can't remember the actress uh, with the sex scene saying that she would never do one again because it was so terrible. Vanessa yeah. Hodgins. And like all of the implications of everything in that film, uh, I think it, besides that one weird, like, music video scene uh it was not very good and super unrealistic and the ending just kind of pissed me off i was waiting for like them to get their comeuppance or whatever and it just never happens and the like half the girls just leave so all right blaze your turn buddy take it away spring breakers i mean the vitriol against this movie since day one has just been you know really unfair when you look at movies like charles swan and green dragons and laggies I mean, at least there was something to it. I mean, Kevin said bad cinematography. Are you kidding me? That cinematography was like one of the best we've seen so far. All the cool neons and stuff. Kelly made up this bullshit thing about how it was like a five-minute tweet thought. I remember during the... Stand by uh, it. ...thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, you guys, we all watch different movies. I think that heist scene, uh, the one take shot was really fucking amazing and inventive. You know, a movies like Laggies wouldn't even try something like that. I do think that uh, the story does get out of hand at points, but again, I stick to my guns when I say that this movie, you're supposed to take, it is for what it is. You're not supposed to accept that it's reality. You're supposed to accept that it's a hyper dream based on the vapidness that is was America teenage college kids in the day. So if you don't like the allegory, that's fine. If you don't like the scenes, that's fine. But, you know, compared to a lot of other movies that we've uh, listened or uh, reviewed, at least it was trying to do something. And the fact that you're not giving it any credit for that is just beyond me. All right, all right. I think we're looking for a discussion for our users to lock into. But I think, uh, Blaze, you defended yourself quite well. I will uh, walk back my one comment uh, on the cinematography only because of the piano scene. But everything else is still trash. Okay. Anybody else have any uh, opinions on this particular piece before we move on? Cole, what was your least favorite movie that we watched? Uh, my least favorite movie yeah. was least definitely favorite. Revenge of the Green Dragons. I think, you know, I, I've enjoyed my fair share of um, Hong Kong-based films and uh, other, like, Southeast Asian films and stuff of that nature with, like, I talked about Hard Boil is from Hong Kong and from, you know, the same area, and it was made, what, like, 30 years earlier, and it is phenomenal action scenes and tells a way better story involving gangsters and stuff than this terrible, terrible movie that had the worst action scenes I've ever seen, the worst story plot, I'm not 100% sure what the revenge of the, what the Green Dragons were revenging even, and there were the White Tigers. I wish the White Tigers would just win and kill them all. That's pretty much my, <laughs> I'm a White Tiger. Let's go. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to just jump right on that because that is also my least favorite movie that we watched. That is right there on the bottom underneath all of the crap is the the Green Dragons, uh, especially because of the whole Scorsese thing that we talked about where we clearly pointed out that it only existed because of his success with The Departed and all of the other fun things that go into it. If it was any better of a movie, I would have given it an F+. Plus. Oh, maybe I did give it an F+. Plus. I don't you even remember, yeah, but we, I gave it an F+. Plus. There we go. Maybe I gave it a D, <laughs> but I didn't. All right, so now that we've kind of established our bests and our worsts... I didn't, I didn't say mine. Um, I, I just oh, oh, tagged Eric, on to I apologize. Uh, Kelly. I'm, I'm moving, moving past yeah, yours. Uh, well, Please, enlighten us. Mine was Revenge of the Green Dragons, too. I, yeah, it's not adding much more on <laughs> here. But, uh, it was the sloppiest film of all of them. Uh, I rated three films in F, Tusk, Laggies, and Revenge of the Green Dragons. And I think Revenge of the Green Dragons was just, like, the sloppiest of all of them, where I saw, like, camera work and, like, the freeze frames and all that kind of, the cinematography in there was so sloppy that it it made it below a normal film for me. Yeah, that straight-to-DVD release that we talked about, yeah. right? That just, I just want to say one quick thing uh, before we move on. Uh, according to Eric, Spring Breakers is our most listened-to episode so no, far. No, no, so a glimpse um, inside the mind of Troll Swan is... Ooh. <laughs> oh, blonk, so are you gonna argue that must be second. the best movie? The people want Charlie I'm gonna, Sheen. <laughs> Bring him winning. <laughs> but wait, did that did that uh, change? No, no, that's always no. been. People apparently have been. They wanted to listen to the first episode to see what kind of podcast we are, and so that's our most listened to episode. Well, what's the one bet most non premiered? <laughs> I mean, the non-premiere, yeah, the second most listened to is Spring Breakers. I think it's the most well-known film outside of that one. I, I'm not going to say it's because it's the favorite film for everyone. It's just the most well-known, you know? 
I just think America, you know, wants to hear, you know, about a good movie. They want to hear a good movie review, so they chose, you know, a when good movie to listen James to. James Franco, Serena right. Gomez, Vanessa Hudgens in one film, you're going to get a lot of people watching it, even no matter how good or Some bad. Some might argue that's the whole point, and that's why the movie itself is yeah. so bad. Waste of talent. <laughs> Which is what we talked about. 100%. It gets peepers on the screen. Whatever. You know what? I'm not okay. going to convince anyone. But Nope, uh, nope, nope, nope. Just and a little it, metadata for y'all. We're going to move on to the next question. Obviously, we've talked about the movies we really enjoyed and the movies that we did not enjoy. But how about the movies that we've kind of grown to appreciate or maybe changed our opinions on a little bit, either after our review or just as time has gone on? So now I'm going to ask about the movie that you would have rated differently um, post-episode. Or how you would rate it today. So Kelly, why don't you start us out with the movie that you either did dirty, or you feel that you maybe have a second appreciation for. Or even a movie that you found worse than you were yeah, the first time. Yeah, I think time. I want to go around, let's, let's bring it up first. So, I stand pretty firmly. I was reviewing all of my grades and I was like, I'm, I'm good at... I feel the same way about like all of them. So anything that I want to move a little up or a little down is by like a plus or a minus. Um, you guys are going to feel weird about this, but it's probably lock. I think I had it at a B minus. I would move it up to a B. That one kind of has stuck in my mind. So it's that stickability. It's the same thing that I said why Enemy was like my that. favorite. Stickability. Stick where it just kind of like, Great I don't know, when you're, when you're daydreaming and a story comes back into your mind or the visuals come back into your mind or Tom Hardy comes back into your mind. The Imagine visuals that. of a BMW interior? Yeah. Well, it's not even just that. It was like, it was an experience of a movie where you're kind of filling in the gaps yourself. And so it makes you daydream. So it just kind of made me think about it more even afterwards. So I would give that up just a little tiny bump. But everything else, when I reviewed my own grades, I was like, I still kind of feel the same way about all of it. All right. Sounds good. Cool. You're next, bud. Any uh, strong opinions about a movie changing? Um, I will stick with my rating for Locke at a D24. Um, as for, uh, changing any of my ratings, looking back, given that there is discussion on if Rover or Most Violent Year is better, I'm going to have to change my oh, Most Violent Year score off. to a D. Oh, <laughs> no. that's no. dirty. No, we're no. striking this from the record. <laughs> no, um, for the most part, I was pretty happy, although I will say my under the skin, I wish I gave it a better score. Um, looking back at it, I just think the premise and like just so a twenty forty for how many films that we watched that didn't have that you know the a twenty four vibe that we talked about. I feel like Under the Skin really kind of captured all of that. Um, <laughs> there's apparently a big storm outside. I am gonna bump it up from a C plus twenty four nice. to um, a B minus twenty four. So that's, right. that's my change. Beautiful. All right, Blaze, you're up, my friend. What do you think? I have to agree with Cole. I think my original grade for Under the Skin was not fair to Under the Skin because I didn't necessarily understand it. But like I said with Spring Breakers, it was trying for something. It was trying to make me feel something. I told you guys I would go back and rewatch it. I have not yet, but I am excited to rewatch it uh, with a little bit more understanding, having listen to our episode uh hearing all your guys's uh viewpoints and ideas and yeah i think i can't wait to give it another chance so i believe i gave it a c minus i want to 
wash the slate clean. I want to give it a solid B, and Ooh, I'll, I'll come jump. in with a part three after I watch it again because, yeah, I think I did it really dirty. There you go. All right, Eric, what do you got, bud? I Yeah, I stick by a lot of my ratings. I think under the skin, though, I might appreciate even more if I watched it a second time, too, and I, I had a B-plus on that. I really enjoyed that film, and I I think that Enemy and Under the Skin are kind of equal to me, where I gave Enemy an A minus and Under the Skin a B plus. I as far as filmmaking goes and just everything that goes into both of those films, I I think that they're pretty equal to me. So I I would actually bump up uh, Under the Skin to an A minus if I had to rewatch on that. All right. Well, at the risk of repeating all of you and your fine points about <laughs> how Under the Skin was definitely underrated by a lot of us. Um, and I did appreciate Kelly's comment on Locke, too, because I feel like that was a movie, personally, that I enjoyed. Um, maybe not as high of a rating. But I'm going to go a little bit out of the box and say that I think I underappreciated Tusk a little bit um, while I was watching it. Um, and I say that because, thinking back on it for me, when Tusk got originally released, it was a movie that everyone was talking about. It was something that was popular, that was in the, the conversation. For better or for worse, clearly for the worse now... But looking back at what it represents as kind of that hive mind mentality of creating something just because you can, you have the capacity to do it. As bad as the movie it was, I love the idea and the concept and, and Kevin Smith creating something out of nothing for the sake of doing it. So for that, I'm going to move mine up to a C- minus to join Blaze. Uh, it still was a pretty bad movie, but I think I appreciate it a little bit more after us watching it and kind of where it falls in the A24 library, at least for the first 15 of them. At this point, I'm pretty much going to open up the floor to anybody who has any more comments on some of the movies that we watched, maybe some of the things you're looking forward to in the next couple of years, or just in general, kind of a, a recappy vibe on our first couple of episodes and how we feel the podcast is going. Anybody? Go ahead. I think uh, I reviewing all these films for the first two years of A24, you had a couple films where you really saw like the the direction that A24, they, they picked it up later when they started distributing more films. I think they, in, in the next couple of years, we're going to see them really figure out the niche kind of film that they want to distribute. And what I've read more into is that A24, you know, they're just a distribution studio, although they started producing films uh, like The Lighthouse they produced. And I figured out that they, they have a relationship with a lot of directors that like Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, these are people that they actually they have a relationship with and they will always say like, yeah, I'll d distribute your film. So I think the interesting thing for me is I kind of saw like, I don't know, the, the worst of them and then eventually what I think they picked out as their niche. And I, I saw that A24 wasn't always thought of as what every everyone you know thinks of them as now. And I, I kind of liked seeing this kind of come up in tail for A24 and seeing, you know, what we know of them now and what they were back then. I'm going to jump in real quick with a comment. We were listening back to uh, Revenge of the Green Dragons episode, and we all kind of commented how we were really surprised that A24 survived such a ridiculous downtrod in movies. Um, and I do think that comment, Eric, is, is really relevant that we get to see kind of A24 at its worst uh, before we get to see A24 at its best. And this is speaking from somebody who's never even seen A24 at its best, knowing full well what is in store for me, because it can't get any worse than some of the films that we already have seen. So I think that's really relevant and uh, a great comment. Anybody else want to throw in anything there? Yeah, it's clear that it took a while to get what we now call A24 vibes. And 
there's so many movies that we've seen that are lackluster or worse with so many actors that are very famous now. It really surprised me, like, movie after movie to see, like, oh, this one's got Ryan Reynolds in it. Eh. Oh, this one's got Sam Rockwell in it. Eh. Multiple times this happened, so I found that to be an interesting pattern. And a lot of these people are extremely famous and popular now, even when these movies aren't what A24 became. So they both like went their separate ways, but they had this little period where they lived together. I found that to be a pattern that seemed to emerge while we watched these films. Excellent. Blaze, did you take anything uh, away from kind of these first 15 films at all? Uh, yeah, I think I took a lot away. I think as one of the more experienced uh, A24 viewers here, I literally thought they started like with The Witch. The Witch was really the first. Uh, I've seen other movies, but that was the first time I actually noticed them. So it's actually been very, very eye-opening for me as someone who claims to love C- or A24 so much that I didn't know how much, you know, how much of a dirty past they had because these first two years, and some of these movies have been genuinely awful to watch some of these movies have been generally wonderful to watch uh i would have not known about half of them had we not done this podcast so i think uh it's really cool to see a company's growing pains and as eric said they found out what worked they found out what didn't and then in the within the next couple years you know if we keep the series going you're gonna see it's gonna be hit after hit after hit and it's gonna be like at least in my opinion, from the movies that I've seen, it's going to be like, oh, can I give this one a B? Can I give this one an A minus? Because I know how much of an A plus this film is. So it's crazy to see. There was a fun, crazy first 15 episodes or so. You know, I'm looking really forward to watching the good meat and potatoes of what A24 has become today. That's a great segue for my question to Colt. So we've just been talking about the past 15 movies, but I want to ask you specifically, what are you looking forward to specifically for the next 15 movies? Maybe not so much on the films themselves, but the way that we're going to review them, kind of the things that we're just going to looking for, and just what the future might hold for this little band. For me, like the most exciting part about this whole thing is I've been a big A24 fan. Obviously, I love The Rover and Lighthouse and, and The Witch and whatnot. But I guess I never, I've never gone through like a whole catalog of a movie studio and i've never seen them from the beginning and it's cool because you know a lot of these movie studios have been around for a long time while well, 824 or movie you know supplier producer what i have you is is relatively new and they have this weird kind of niche thing um, i'm just excited to see all these new movies that i have not ever even heard of and watch them with fresh eyes and you know kind of see some of these hidden gems that uh I never, you know, had seen or got the chance to. Uh, and it's also fun to see some of the absolute swing and misses that they dropped the ball out of a studio that I've watched, you know, for the last few years. I watched every single film that they release uh, and I love them. And then going back and seeing like, holy shit, they made Revenge of the Green Dragons. <laughs> but, you know, they also made Most Violent Year and I had never seen that before and i Probably never would have if we didn't do this podcast. So that's what I'm excited for is to just keep on trucking and, and finding these gems and having a good time. Absolutely. And for my little piece, uh, I came into this, you know, talking about my favorite movies being Disney movies and animal movies. And now here I am 15 movies in and I really feel like I'm starting to get a good appreciation for what you all find wonderful in movies and film. Um, and having these discussions over cocktails with you every week has been a highlight for me. So thank you and cheers.
Cheers. Uh, here's to the next 15. Cheers. Um, cheers, everyone. And if, if we don't have anything else, we'll see you in the next episode.